welcome back to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 50. Had a great little trip up to the Okanagan, saw some friends, visited a few new wineries, and first of all, shout out to Kira and Libby at Stag's Hollow. Great experience with them. Uh, shout out to my man Grayson at Black Swift. Great experience with him. Libby and Kira took care of us at Stag's Hollow. It's funny because with the, with the staggered wine tastings and, and all the protocols are in place right now, because of COVID, a lot of the wineries is very, you don't see a lot of people and you, everything's very, you know, there's a lot of areas you can't get to, you can't access or shut off. And, uh, and of course, we uh, we skirted the rope a little bit with Kira. So really appreciate the experience. Had my in-laws with me. And they are in this podcast in the background. You'll hear them. You'll hear my father-in-law, which you guys have heard before from the barbecue sessions. So Daryl's in there. My wife is in there. You've heard her and a few episodes as well and my mother-in-law is in there as well so in this episode we chat with brett Thiessen. he is the vineyard manager for mount boucherie and for rust wine co he runs both of the both of the vineyard operations he's in the process of converting all of their current grapes and current vines over to organic farming it's a big undertaking they have a lot of different grapes and a lot of different vineyards and he's managing it all right now and there are two winemakers that he'll talk about quite a bit that he works in collaboration with in getting this uh this task up and running we managed to catch up with him during the trip in through the okanagan and he sat us down for a little tasting as well so we had a little chat and we had a great tasting let's get right into it that time of year where get everything ready for the grapes to go through veraison and just kind of toughen themselves up mm. so that we can actually have a crop to harvest so it's 5 a.m till 10 p.m every day it? <laughs> january january yeah <laughs> so well it depends if there's ice wine or not but there you go. this year we decided no ice wine okay. so finally a break yeah good yeah and i mean you've got a task ahead of you with trying to convert everything to organic right yeah that's been one of the biggest struggles is everything's been grown conventionally for so many years that the yields are a little bit higher than uh, the vines are kind of trained to grow a certain amount of fruit so now trying to cut them back they're panicking and they're just shooting laterals and their canopies are so vigorous and there's so much built up fertilizer left in the soil that even though we're not adding anything they're still finding it and they're still catching up this is actually the first week that i've had to turn on my irrigation for anything other than a new planting this whole season because we've had so much rain and everything's just been taking off here especially on the estate we've got such heavy clay soil that it just holds moisture it holds nutrients we are behind up here admittedly because we've got between the seven acres up here, the eight acres at Rust on the Gold Mile Bench, the 40 acres in Okanagan Falls, 80 acres in Coston, and then the new 80 acres we just started working on. This is kind of the, let's make it look really good, but we're not up here all the time because it's the furthest away. We've got the 80 acres already producing. That planting goes back to the early 90s, late 80s. Uh, And then we've got another 80 acres that we just broke ground on in November and that's what we just started planting this spring so there's a lot of homework to do there still learning the weather patterns the soil um, just seeing what makes the most sense kind of what we noticed with these properties was there was a lot of grapes planted because you could plant grapes not because it was the right grape for the right place and uh, we're trying to change that so in Okanagan Falls where you've got some of the best wines for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay coming out but you've got Meyer, Blue Mountain, Liquidity why are we growing Ehrenfelser? So we pulled out old plantings of Ehrenfelser and replanted with Pinot Noir and we're farming and cropping the Chardonnay properly so we can actually 
grow something to match our neighbors because we could grow whatever we want wherever we want but does it make sense not all the time so we're really trying to fine-tune every vineyard every block and just really farm it with purpose instead of farm it for the sake of it so with that as well um, I was a former grower at Summerhill that's kind of where I cut my teeth in the industry and when Mount Boucherie was looking for a viticulturist I said I know I'm young and I'm inexperienced but uh, I could stay at Summerhill and maintain 40 acres organic or I can start to convert 300 throughout the valley into organic and that's what led me here and they took a big chance on me and I just that's why I show up to work every day because there's a lot more people far more qualified for my job and I just want to prove that I can do it. I think that's, the, that's something though that it's indicative of the Okanagan though a lot of people like to take those chances on people that are looking for that next jump mm-hmm. and they're looking for that that next step in their in their in their career right? oh yeah and, and one of my biggest kind of mentors and the my first phone call person in the valley is Felix at Tantalus and he's again younger guy younger grower he's got his education formally through UC Davis and through Geisenheim he's light years smarter than I am but Whenever I need help, I call him and he always picks up, he always helps and you know, it's, it's having those younger people that kind of get together and, and can have a meeting of the minds, whereas not, I can't say this is a blanket statement, but there's other people in the valley that are, have been doing it for a lot of years, they've been burned by someone once upon a time and they don't want to give you help, they don't want to share the stories or you know, really lend that hand if you're just a new guy because who knows how long until you're off to the next place and stealing their ideas. So we've got a, a really good group of young growers in the valley that we kind of meet in secret and, you know, have a, a couple beers at the pub and just say, hey, what are you facing? What are you noticing? What can you, um, what can you help me with? What can I help you with? Because right now we're trying to figure it out and we all do a lot of our own reading and a lot of our own studying and we learn it practically every day and that, that translates a lot into how we all grow collectively so when he's got a, I mean his task at Tantalus is also a daunting one as well so yeah a, that's a good resource for sure and when I was at Summerhill and he was at Tantalus we were growing a lot of the same clones a lot of the same area same weather we could really compare what one was doing to the other and now that I'm mainly in the south with that little bit in West Kelowna here it's just night and day what I'm doing with when we were both in East Kelowna he's still there um, we knew what we were growing, we knew our weather patterns, we knew our soil types, and we were growing a lot more, you know, light skin reds and aromatic whites. Well, now I'm growing Zinfandel on the Golden Mild Bench, I'm growing Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, Blau Frankish, and Similkameen, just everywhere we have is a totally different climate with different soil and with having two wineries really right now running out of the same cellar, which is Mount Boucherie and Russ Wine Co. down on the Golden Mile Bench, you've got two different winemakers that have their ideas of what that fruit should be. So I'm looking at blocks going, this fits in this portfolio. They're looking at blocks going, this is what I need. So I have to look at what they know they want and execute, which on a year like this year has been really fun, but it's been a challenge because we had record lows for rainfall in April, May, and we had record highs in June and July. And now we're getting this heat spike after we got so much water. Well, how do you keep up with it? And because of the climate we're in right now with COVID, you can't find workers. Everyone's getting paid to sit at home. And for what they're gonna make that we can afford without the prices of our wine going through the roof, no one wants to take that extra three, four, six hundred dollars a month to go bake in 32 degrees every day. So it's become increasingly hard to do what we're doing, especially converting from conventional to organic, where there's a lot more hand labor, a lot more, you know, boots on the ground, hands in the vines, and we're not relying on sprays to keep everything happy and healthy. It makes it a lot longer days and a lot bigger job. And we're doing, we're keeping up, but it's taken it out of us this year yeah. so no smoke at least so that's a good i was actually having that conversation with someone earlier and said oh this is terrible and i was like yeah but have you seen any smoke yet and they're like no and i was like yeah, yeah here we go yeah here you we know, go first it's still first september and october four, so 
Well, and luckily in September, October, that's when the water starts to come on. I shouldn't say luckily because that's right during harvest and we don't yeah. want it, but I'd rather have a bit of rain than forest fires. Because mm-hmm. um, for some of our fruit, 2018 was the year where we had that massive fire in the Smilkamine, which was right across the river from our property. So we released our rust gamay and a lot of people go, oh, wow, there's so much oak on that. And I'm like, no, it's 100% stainless. That's just the forest fire that was 300 meters away from it. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely, the, the word gets around smoke taint and it's, you know, smoke affected. It mm-hmm. can be, I mean, look at the hatch. Didn't they not have the Fume yeah, the Franc? Smoke, this, or, or the, the smoke show. The smoke show, yeah. yeah. There was someone else that had the Fume Franc. Yeah. And it was, you know, let's, let's work yeah. with it instead of against it. So, yeah. I mean, we could have tried to hide it with oak, but we wanted our Gamay to be stainless. So we just had the Gamay that drinks like Syrah that year. We had a little more skin contact, mm-hmm. made it a little bit more voluptuous on the palate. And it was, I mean, compared to the 2019, which is a totally different style, same block, same fruit, same stainless, but that the reason we do it that way is so that you can taste the difference for vintage. Yeah. So at Mount Boucherie, what Jeff Hundertmark's doing as the winemaker is he's winemaking. He's tasting different tanks, different barrels, different fruit, and creating wines. He can he's not following a recipe, but he's making beautiful wines that have balance, that are blended, and that are just kind of, you know, they're they're for everyone. And at Rust, with our winemaker, Ryan DeWitt, who's this, you know, peppy young guy from Niagara that came out here, he's doing single vineyard, single varietal, terroir-driven wines that are, you you sit down at Rust and you can have four Merlots that are all handled the same way once they come into the cellar. They've got, we try and pick them as close to the same numbers as we can for, for bricks, acid, pH, um, and just make sure that they're coming in all pretty even, mm-hmm. handle them in the cellar, and then we really want that terroir to speak of a place and a time. Yeah. So right now, we're, we're about to release some of the 2017s, and I just went through them yesterday with the winemakers, and we looked at how different um, Black Sage versus Soyuz versus Okanagan Falls versus Similkameen are, mm-hmm. where they're all handled so similar, and they are night and day from bottle to bottle. So I'm talking too much. We're not really getting into any wine here. Yeah, um, we've got a few, a few in front of us. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I, I put a few here. Um, when we opened this new facility, uh, we released two new wines. So because we've opened the restaurant, we released our our restaurant label, which is the modest wines to complement the modest butcher. Um, and then we've also for instead of doing all blends for. Uh, Mount Boucherie, we've also released the original vines, so it's the oldest blocks in our oldest vineyards, and we just kind of focus on those wines that uh, would would typically see a bit of blending, and now we do our white label, which is kind of our, our blended, kind of everyday, lower price point. Now we've got the original vines, which is the, the black and white labels you're seeing there, and those are kind of the, you know, ode to that block, where we really want to showcase how, how good it is, um, or how unique those vineyards are. So in your glass right now, we've got the 2018 original vine Chardonnay. 100% Chardonnay. Uh, I believe this one comes from Okanagan Falls. This sees pretty minimal uh, six months neutral oak and then another six in stainless. A little bit of bottle aging to it. And uh, yeah, we just wanted it to be, you know, not quite that Rombauer full oak show and we didn't want it to be quite as crisp and zippy as our unoaked rust chardonnay just kind of that middle ground we get a lot of people that come in and i'm sure you see this in the industry a lot where someone comes in and says oh i'm not drinking chardonnay that's my mother's wine or i all chardonnay is terrible well the first event i ever worked as an employee of this company um, was chef meets bc grape up at see later ranch last year and I had this group of girls come and say, oh, anything but Chardonnay. I was like, perfect, I got just the wine for you. And I poured them all Chardonnay. And they're like, oh my God, I love this. This is so good, what is it? And I was like, that's Chardonnay. And they're like, what? Like, not every wine is going to taste the same. And whatever you perceive that wine as from one producer is completely different than the next guy. Yeah, and so that's, not all that butter bomb that, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. It doesn't just have to be straight oak and vanilla and toast and and this one i mean this just got released last week it's been like i said bottle conditioned for a little bit we wanted it to really grow into itself before we released it and i think it's starting to show that right now so but it's not necessarily an 
an oak to Chardonnay. No, it's it's six months neutral oak, so it does it does get a kiss of oak, but it's not really that. Yeah, it, it's not. I can't even say it's outdated as a, a taste descriptor, but um, for us, it it caters to both crowds. You get the people that like oak, and you get the people that hate oak. This one's not offensive on either side. Yeah. Was farming always in in the blood, or why why grape growing? Why <clears throat> Why this path? Huh. I'm sure there's a politically nice way to say this. Mm-hmm. No, I I was born and raised. Well, I was born on a dairy farm in southern Alberta. Moved to central Alberta on a beef ranch. Grew up. My dad was a farmer. Um, you know, that's where I learned how to drive a tractor at you know 13, 14 years old. And when I started in the valley. One of the first days, they said, oh, I don't know, we'll get someone else to move that. And I just hopped on the tractor and started going. They said, oh, you know what you're doing for a city kid. Well, yeah, I grew up farming. So I'm used to, I know my dad would probably argue this. I wasn't always a early riser and good farmer, but at least I understood that farming is a lot more than just a job. Then I had, uh, I thought I was going to get into trades, did a year of construction. And as I was building a restaurant, I started to get to know the owner and I said, hey, you guys hire anyone that, you know, are you just looking for staff? And he said, sure. So he hired me as a dishwasher. A month later, I was one of his head chefs. The, then a year after that, I was managing the bar. And I, that's kind of when, you know, alcohol started to become something in my life. And I was always just, you know, that young person at a new restaurant job that was just drinking whatever wine they could get their hands on at the end of their shift. And I was like, oh, this stuff is terrible. And uh, a few years later, after moving up the restaurant chain, I was at a, my ex-fiance's uh, parents' house, and he opened my Come to Jesus wine. And it was 2011, he opened a 2009 Blue Mountain Reserve Pinot Noir, and that's where it kind of went, boom, there's something to this. It's not just that after work, headache-inducing wine. Um, so every year since then, I've collected the Blue Mountain Reserve Pinot Noir. I've got a vertical going. I was going to say, Blue Mountain Pinot is probably a lot of people's epiphany. Yeah. That's, that's such a great wine, right? Oh, so. it's out of this world. So yeah, I pick up a case of Magnums and a case of 750s every vintage when they release it. And I just started getting more serious about wine. I took a, I went from being a, you know, restaurant manager of a big chain to being a, a winemaker, or a wine list curator. I wouldn't say sommelier because I've done no formal training, but I was doing the job and I was starting to taste more and more wine every week. And then I decided to get out of the hospitality side of it into the wine buying side. And I had this great store in in Calgary that took me on as a quote unquote manager where I was just starting to taste, you know, 40 plus bottles of wine a day and just really start to refine my palate. And I actually ended up winning a sales contest four years ago, almost to the week, um, where I went to Germany. And I just, the first time I ever stepped foot was, or on a vineyard or in a winery was four years ago today, or four years ago last week. And my eyes just kind of went, this is what it takes. And little did I know how much work goes into making it that beautiful all the time. But uh, that was kind of the, okay, when I get home, I want to try and find a job. So I went and I did a, a stage and kind of went for an interview in Oregon and loved the winery, loved the people. Something didn't feel right about the job. I wasn't quite ready to just first job, move to the States and, and figure it out. Um, so I came back a little discouraged from that and uh, Eric Von Crossig from Summerhill, he was in just the next week pouring wine and trying to get it in the store and I said, hey, do you ever hire anyone that's got no experience or a clue what they're doing? And he said, oh yeah, all the time. And I said, okay, I'll see you in two weeks. And he kind of laughed and went on his way and two weeks later I came knocking on the door at Summerhill and he was like, oh, you were serious. So uh, yeah, he took me in. He we went down to the cellar to the current winemaker now, Michael, and he's like, "Hey, Michael, here's Brett. He's gonna work for you. He'll start tomorrow at 6. And Michael kind of went, "Oh, okay. Hi, new guy." And you know, I just kind of was working 40 hours a week in the cellar, 40 hours a week in the vineyard. I would start in the morning, work till early afternoon, go work until sundown in the vineyard, and I was just doing that for basically almost a year. 
Um, that's where Felix and I met. He kind of showed me the ropes. He was my supervisor on the crush pad. Um, we didn't always get along at that point, but now that one of us doesn't work under the other, we get along great. Um, but yeah, I just kind of had a bit more of a connection to the vineyard than I did to the cellar. I could, you know, sit in a tank and mix wine and empty barrels, or I could go, you know, walk around the, the vineyard. And, and admittedly, when I moved here, I used to think organic was kind of like a buzzword kind of crock of, you know, I don't know what the explicit level on this podcast is but as high as you want i thought it was a crock yeah yeah we'll leave it there yeah and uh when i when i got here i basically was said here's a here's a conventional vineyard here's an organic vineyard here's a shovel go tell me which one's better yeah and once i started digging in the soils and seeing the difference of you know just the life and the health the smell the I, i won't say taste but like you can it's it's palatable visually appealing yeah. visually visually you know. and just a sensory overload of the difference of what healthy vineyard versus you know I'm not saying completely unhealthy but manipulated yes. versus yeah. just an ecosystem yeah. was night and day so um, that that's where they set the hook and they had me line and sinker so yeah I've just kind of followed that I, I can't say I'm doing everything perfect quite yet um, I'm learning a lot of lessons the hard way, but when you apply for jobs that are way above your qualifications, you're going to have to learn on the fly, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, like I said, we released uh, two new labels. We've got the Modest Wines, and then we've got the Original Vines on top of our Mount Boucherie Wines. This is the first one I'll pour for you out of the Modest Wines. The theory behind these is we won't make the same wine every year. It'll be if we get a cool parcel of fruit or cool block from some other grower or if we get an outstanding one from one of our vineyards, uh, we'll do something special with it. So the Elder Vicar's kind of a salute to Father Pandozi, the guy that was the original uh, guy that planted grapes in the valley. So this is a blend of Muscat, Pinot Gris, Gewürztraminer and Riesling. Uh, a lot of aromatic, a lot of acid, um, bright, vibrant on the nose. I hate telling people what to taste in wine. It's so subjective. If I tell you to taste this, you'll taste that. Yeah. But you know, I smell I, the reason right off the bat. That's what I smell. Yeah, the the reason and the muscat play really nicely together. Um, sure. The goo doesn't really overpower and make it too too aromatic and too sweet. Um, but I just I I like the balance in this one because you do get acid, you do get sugar, not a ton of residual though. It just it shows itself mm. really well. I was talking to them about the Truck 59 Cider with having, they have a portrait of Father Pendozi as part of their, for their apple cider. Mm-hmm. They have that as their label. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a shot of him on this bottle too. Okay. Um, so we do, we always try and have, for the modest lines, we'll have uh, cool. five like different you. pictures that kind of... I thought it was you. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I wasn't lucky enough to get on any of these. Oh, you're not on the bottle. Well, you could just say it was you. Yeah, I just I just thought of one more wine that I should probably grab, but mm. we'll uh, we'll see how much time we have. But yeah, this is just kind of our, you know, the four four noble grapes from Alsace. We wanted it to be that very Alsatian, yeah, like Alsace and the Okanagan, and uh, we we're seeing great on this. My mother, she doesn't drink a lot of wine. But when she was here and she tried this, she said, I think that's the first wine I could drink an entire bottle of. Mm. So, I mean, I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, but <laughs> she's named him. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. It's authentic that mm-hmm. way. Um, so this is the oh, 2019 yeah. Riesling. Um, a lot of people ask in the wine industry, so what's your what's your favorite grape or what's your favorite wine? And that's like asking a parent who their favorite child is. They all have one, they just shouldn't say it. But uh, for me, like that's that's you. Okay, perfect. I don't I think, you know, my brother was the favorite child because he's got, you know, three granddaughters for mom and dad, but now I bring home the wine, so yeah, it's it's kind of a split I decision. Know. Well, I don't know. They, exactly the same. Those girls are a little more important than wine, but um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. So, um, I'd have to say Riesling was I, Pinot Noir was my come to Jesus. Holy, I need to get serious about wine. But when I won that trip to Germany and I went there, I was outnumbered by 
real genuine sommeliers from all over the world and I was just this wine buyer with no credibility that was just like a deer in headlights mm -hmm. drinking 80 plus Rieslings a day studying at Geisenheim for one week and it was just like the enamels not left on your teeth and <laughs> you're trying anything from ripping acid to super sweet sugar to you know TBAs that are just blowing your mind and so for me to come here and, and start with uh, block of Riesling at Summerhill, which is one of the original plantings that came over from one of the vineyards I was at in Germany, um, was pretty special. And then I look at what we have now and I go, you know what, for where this block is and what we've got, this this is very comparative to this place that I've been. Yeah. And so I wanted to grow it a certain way. And, and Jeff and I kind of argued about this, Jeff the winemaker, we argued about this and he said, I want to pick it at this. And I was like, yeah, we can pick it at that. And I just kind of held out for another half brick brick because I, I wanted it to be dry, but more off dry, have that beautiful characteristic that Riesling is so known by instead of just having it be that like super tart Riesling. And, you know, you can get it in so many ways. Riesling got such a bad rap for so many years because it, it was... There's a few grapes that have gone through it. Riesling was all sweet, and people had to say, yeah. no, I'm not buying Riesling until it's more dry. Shiraz in Australia was pull your teeth out, heavy, strong, tannic, and peppery that it had to kind of back its way down that hill as well. So, you know, I think wines like this that have low residual sugar from ripe fruit, not super high acid, not super high alcohol, but a good balance of each, like that's that's what we need to aim for and with us trying to rebuild this brand of Mount Boucherie that you know it, it's gone through its high points low points it's under new ownership as of five years ago and new winemaking new viticulture for the last two years you know we've got well I think that's the way the the way the industry has gone as well overall yeah. is that to get away from that high alcohol mm -hmm. those big Australian cabs and and to cut it down and, and be a little little lighter and a little leaner and, and yeah. the push towards acid and, and more food friendly and it's just the whole industry has gone that way. Yeah, so. and you know, it's it's consumer driven. If you start to see those, you know, big boozy tannic wines start to drop in sales, well, you gotta ask, am I doing something or is the consumer just looking for something else? So luckily we've got so many SKUs under the two wineries under three labels that we, we can make a little bit of something for everyone. It doesn't have to be all our eggs in one basket, but it's just a, a lot of fun to, to switch it up so much. So to go back full circle, Riesling would be my favorite child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> out, of, out of my personal cellar at home, I'd say it's probably 35, 40% Riesling. Mm -hmm. And that's like in total, not just in whites. Do you think that's influenced by you going to Germany for so long and learning there? I think there? so. Yeah. I think that would be a big part of it because having that experience of being in so many beautiful places, I mean, there's the placebo effect always. Yeah. People, you even notice it here where people come to the Okanagan and they're on a wine tour and, oh my God, this is the best wine I've ever had. And they get home and they're like, eh, it's kind of boring. Mm -hmm. like, when you're in that time and place and you're on that vineyard, uh, the experience is totally different than when you're in your kitchen mm -hmm. after a long day on Wednesday. Yeah. So, Riesling's one of those ones that it can get your attention, whether you've had a lot of it, a little bit of it. It's a good entry-level wine for a lot of people that are used to drinking those sweeter wines, but, you know, not quite in the, the high-end realm yet. Um, so I think uh, my love for it is influenced a lot by that. Mm. Um, so we're going to go on to a rosé now. This is the last hurrah. Again, this is from the Modest Wine line. Um, it's called the last hurrah because whoever planted this vineyard decade ago, two decades ago, had great ideas, but not the best execution. Um, the spacing on the rows went from uh, four feet to 10 feet to four feet to 10 feet to four feet to 10 feet. And they just put cloth down the middle so that nothing would grow up you didn't have to deal with weeds well that was good until the cloth deteriorated and now you've got weeds growing up in between the vines you can't fit any machinery down there you can't spray to keep the, fr the fruit clean um, and one thing i noticed when i was checking fruit last year was because the rows were so close you didn't have the right amount of sunlight going to both panels 
we were about two to three bricks lower on the north side than we were on the south side. So we said, well, we can either over-ripen this and keep this under-ripe and just hope that our mix, once we put it all in the press, comes out different, or where we don't want it, or let's pick the low bricks and turn it into a rosé. So we called it the last hurrah because as soon as those grapes were picked, I took a machine in there and pulled every post and every vine and said, we can't keep fighting that year over year. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the first well, probably the second big replant we've had in in the time I've been here. So, um, the last hurrah, this is 100% Syrah from uh, the Similkameen Valley. So this is from one of the hottest spots on the very east side along the highway on our kind of north-south vineyard there. But it's and, got that... And the timing, according to the label, is accurate? Uh, I don't know what the labels say. Uh, eight seconds? No, uh, 14 minutes, 14 hours, 8 minutes, 12 seconds, whatever. Okay. For how long it was with skin contact? Yes. Yeah. You know what, I would probably think that's pretty accurate because when I got it in, they wanted to get it in the press the next morning, but we got it up here late. So they were like, okay, well we need to have this amount of skin contact and I don't know what, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something that held it up so they were like checking their watches like, okay, we need to get this press. So I think... It's probably pretty accurate they That's were funny. that That's good. to the nose on it because, you know, the difference of a, an hour or three completely changes the, well, you can also alter the color after we're choosing not to. Sure. Um, along with farming smarter in the vineyards and a little more clean and transparent, it comes down to winemaking as well. If I'm doing all the right steps organically in the vineyard and then we just bring it in here and we alter it with all the additions that you can put in and not put on your label. Yeah. You know, it just shows a little different. So with Jeff and Ryan, the way they make wine is let's start with good grapes and do as little as possible to them and still have something pure. So that was kind of the mentality between making the decision to start cleaning up our act in the on the farming side of it oh, yeah. was let's have something healthier, something more transparent that's going to translate better to the people buying it in the end. Because yeah. like I said, I, I have no intention of going out there and spraying synthetics and you know screwing up the ecosystem that we have because I don't like something. So many farmers wake up every day looking to kill something, whether it's a pest or a fungus or a bacteria or, you know, you shouldn't have to go out every day and be like, okay, what am I after today? You should go and say, hey, what is the vineyard telling me today? And some days I'm okay at reading it, other days I'm not. But kind of like, I'll use my dad as an example. He can walk out into the field with cows and just looking around, he can go, "Uh, something's not quite right with 24B. Like he can just tell something's different. Mm. And after you've spent enough time in a vineyard, and I know I'm still really new to this, but I still pick up on it. You can be walking and just the smallest color change will catch your eye and take your focus and I look at it and go okay what is that vine telling me or what is that cluster telling me like is is it tied too tight okay well now you go loosen that or what is it missing so practically as an organic farmer if you can make all of your own nutrients out of compost you're in a pretty good spot but if you have to use additions like fertilizers or the sprays you use to keep them clean because you still have to keep your fruit clean just because you're organic doesn't mean you're not spraying you're almost spraying more because you're not spraying something systemic that's going to heal from the inside out you've got to get something on there to kill that pet or that problem when it arises you don't want to be out trying to kill something every day but when you have to deal with something you have to deal with it and uh yeah, you just you start to notice these things and you get a little bit more aligned with the place you're at and it just it makes it a little more challenging but yeah, I don't know. I, maybe it's my ADD brain, but it works great cuz every day I'm facing something new. I came into today with a totally set schedule and plan. And by 10 in the morning, I had had to pivot three times and just completely shift my crew from Costin to West Kelowna. I had to bring my guys from OK Falls to West Kelowna because there was just, we noticed something. We had to deal with it before it became a problem. And now everything else is, okay, hold that, put a bookmark in it. We'll go back to that tomorrow. And that's just kind of what we're dealing with, farming. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, this year has been a bit different with the weather patterns. Yeah. 
and the pressure that we're getting. We didn't see any disease pressure until recently. And usually you start to notice that pretty quick after spring. So with cleaning everything up and dropping those synthetics, our arsenal got way smaller, so our timing has to be that much better. It's a gamble what every day. What do you day. find helps the mildew? Do you have to like prune it out to give more air and space? So yeah, like that's yeah. when we brought our whole crew up here today, it was because we needed to clear the fruit zone of mm-hmm. all the leaves. Like mm-hmm. if we can get sunlight and air yeah. on the clear fruit. Clear it out to get that mildew out? Yep. And are you watering it then at like the ground level then? Because you said you had just started watering. So or are you so watering it higher up? Like we're, just... we're higher up on, on most of our properties. Everything that's older is still overhead sprinklers. Yeah. And every new block we're putting in has drip irrigation and overhead. The overhead is to keep the cover crop happy throughout the summer. Yeah. And the drip is to actually feed the vines. Because okay. if we're watering everything overhead, you're going to have a ton of vigor. You're going to have yeah, more yeah. humidity in your canopy. Yeah. So what, if we can just go through and keep the cover crop happy with half an hour of water every couple days, yeah. then that's a lot less pressure than eight hours per and block you finding, per like, week. You were saying one is clay and one is this. So the one with clay obviously doesn't need as much drip irrigation as the one with... The... Well, luckily the one that's clay is all overhead still. And that's this property that we're on in West Kelowna. So I can just... I haven't had to yet, but we will just irrigate for about an eight-hour period. Does let it the sit wind for a couple affect weeks. that? Like, it's really windy. I didn't realize how... Last time we came up, it wasn't this windy. Yeah. And I didn't realize how yeah. windy it was. And how do you find that affects, like... I love wind. The fruit growing. <laughs> yeah. I love wind because, especially, like, our Okanagan Falls vineyard, um, it's planted north-south. The wind exchange is always north-south. You rarely see an east-west wind there because we're right in the center of that valley. Yeah. So because you've got wind ripping through your vines, that's cleaning out that humidity yeah. and keeping yeah. the And all the bugs cool. and everything, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're mo- making that movement and getting those, yeah. that heat in without it being sweltering hot. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Um, our Similkameen Vineyard is planted east-west in the north-south valley, so it's counterintuitive, but because of the cold air that comes off the mountain, instead of trapping any of that cold air and having frost damage, mm-hmm. we just have to pay a little more attention to the other pest problems that arise from doing it this way, but um, ideally everything would be north-south there. We'd get a little bit different sun exposure, and we'd get a lot better wind. Yeah, the wind's great. So up here, if you look at all of our neighbors, well, almost all of our neighbors, they're all planted north-south. Mm. And we're the only one in this kind of block radius that's planted east-west. And that was done before we were here. So we just have to adapt. It's not the ideal way to grow what we're growing here. But, you know, if you farm it right, you can do it. And admittedly, we're finding issues right now. But we're also trying to get our feet under us with this new style of farming on vines that aren't used to it. Um, I'm trying to cut back from those vines recognizing that they can grow six to eight tons an acre to no, 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 let's grow four tons an acre. And the vines are saying, but I'm used to this. So we're getting like, we haven't even hedged and they're pushing laterals because we've thinned so much that they're like, no, 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 I need to grow more. So until we can kind of train that out of them that, no, this is what you need to get used to. We're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Who would have thought 10 years ago that everybody had to have one or two rosés in their stable? Oh yeah, we had three rosés up until two weeks ago because mm-hmm. we that's a category that's consistently growing. Not just for us, for the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. We sold out of one already and we just released it in May. So, you know, we're it was a smaller quantity and it was a charity item, which is great, but... You know, we're, we're having demand for things that weren't in demand a couple of years ago. You see so many vineyards and wineries that have Gewurztraminer planted in the valley, and that's a uh, grape that's slowly losing traction. So how do you adapt to that? Well, not everyone's going to go and rip out their Gewurztraminer. So in a couple of years, when people do get rid of it, the people that still have it, when it comes back, you know, you, you really have to look at the, the growing with purpose and, and market. We have to survive. You have to survive. I mean, you can be the most sustainable organic farmer in the world, but if you're making wine that's not going to sell, you're not going to have money, so you're not sustainable at all. If you're selling your Gewurz at 19 bucks a bottle and you can sell your Pinot for 30 Mm -hmm. or 40, then, you know, it's it's the price of... So you're going to rip it out because... If you can double your double your money in the same yeah. the same location, you only have so many acres. And if it costs you less to farm that Gewurz, and that's why you're charging less for it, so you're making 
you know, still the right margin, right. you're going to hold on to some of right. it. Like, luckily, every vineyard we have has Gewurztraminer. Mm. We've got vines that go back to the early 70s at, at our property at Rust. Um, it's just one of those things that that's why it's in our original vines as a reserve Gewurz because you know, we've got to pay respect to the grapes that started these yeah. properties. Yeah. yeah, what were the grapes that started these properties? This was like, what were the first ones that they were important? Originally, to? there was like Okanagan Riesling and Bacchus planted on the Gold Mile bench that got ripped out. And there was a few other hybrids that were planted there. And once hybrids kind of lost the mentality, we find out you can plant Vitis vinifera here. That's when, you know, Syrah, Zinfandel, Cabernet, Gewurz were planted down there. and. Um, Pinot, Gamay, those are also older ones for us mm -hmm. on the properties. This property here is uh, predominantly Zweigelt with a uh, little bit of Gewurztraminer and then Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get a little bit of, a, a little different kind of everything. And for this property, we basically just field blend it. Once the first one becomes ripe, we pick it, all of it. If the Gewurz is ripe first, we pick the Zinfandel, or sorry, the Zweigelt a little underripe, the Pinot close to ripe, it all goes in the tank for a few hours and it comes out as our house rosé mm -hmm. because it's our 100% estate field blend for rosé. So, and there's that whole sordid story about government intervention yeah. back in the 60s mm -hmm. and 70s, was yep. which were dictating what you, what they could plant here, yep. which was totally unsuitable. Yeah. And until... And who knows, we might get back to that with this new, you know, sub-GI thing. Mm -hmm. You look at burgundy and they say you can only plant this and grow this here mm -hmm. so i don't think it's a great idea to start telling people well in naramata this does what's best only grow this mm -hmm. and i'm not saying it's going to get to that but no who knows stranger things have happened true so and i mean how many how many podcasts have you listened to of mine that that's the conversation we always have you yeah. know you're you're down in oliver just plant the big reds and don't worry about mm -hmm. so is that government intervention it. I think it's just, you know, farmer winemaker mentality is like, oh, okay. hey, I am capable of doing this. Why don't I do this? But like us having Zinfandel right next door to Gorstraminer, a lot of people would say, what a waste having goo on the black or on the Golden Mile bench. Mm -hmm. Like you could grow yeah. Petit Verdot, Cabernet Franc, yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon. Like why don't you do something that fits? Yeah. But you go, well, it's why would we rip out you know 30 plus yeah. year old vines yeah. mm -hmm. just to please the market like you look at how quick orchards and vineyards switch hands and fruit in this valley yes well eventually one of those is going to be on the low and yeah. i'm surprised how quickly people rip the vines out oh and yeah you hear a lot of that we've heard a lot of that today well we took this out or we grafted that mm -hmm. and i was like well well what do you do with all those like those are really like you know prized vines from mm -hmm. before like what are you just doing with these because now they're just ripped out and gone like yeah well, and, and like I said, like we ripped out Ehrenfelser in Okanagan Falls because Pinot Noir makes way more sense there. Yeah. And now we have zero Ehrenfelser in our portfolio. Well, if we've got aromatic diversity or aromatic Riesling, we've got blends we can do. We can buy fruit from other people. We still have access to do those wines. Mm -hmm. We're just choosing not to grow those. Because oh, yeah. if we've got such great terroir, let's focus on what it can do and buy the fruit that we don't grow. Right. You have, you have so, the science behind it now. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. Oh, and, and year over year, we've got it's great researchers, right. great yeah. winemakers. Mm -hmm. We can figure out what should be planted where. Exactly. And that's how the valley should be. You shouldn't just grow fruit for the sake of growing fruit. Or if you're going to make it good well wine, in a public market, or yeah. you know, the consumer wants us, let's grow it. Yeah. If purpose. someone came to me and said, "Oh, Sauvignon Blanc is dominating the market," well, do you think I'm going to rip out any of my blocks and plant Sauvignon Blanc? Probably not. Yeah. Someone will, but I don't need to because we know what we can make consistently well, yeah. and that's what we'll keep doing, and we'll keep trying to improve it because yeah. now we're actually building momentum in all areas of our businesses that we can start to focus on really raising that quality instead of just like, man, I hope this works this year. Like we're actually starting to see improvement everywhere. Yeah. And you know, the Okanagan Valley, there's vintages that are consistent, but one of the most consistent things is inconsistency. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Like every vintage I've grown in this valley has been completely different. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You learn a lot more yeah. that way. I'd have to say since the 80s, though, I'm sure the weather and the all that stuff has really changed, too. Like, there's been a lot of changes in terms of, like, the weather and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 
Mm. More mild winters. Mild winters, all that kind of stuff. Mild winters, more fires. You know, like, yeah, yeah, huge fires or a really, really cold winter all of a sudden in the middle of a bunch of warm ones. Well, we had that. What do we got, by the way? Oh, yeah. Sorry, this is. (laughs) (laughs) We should digress. This is. We're getting heated in here. I like it. Um, This is our 2018 PTG, so Pass It to a Grand, which is, uh, you know, it was kind of the. The farmer's wine, like this is the wine that they just use barrel ends to make something. So this is Pinot Noir, Gamay, with a hint of Pinot Gris. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of Jeff Huntermark's brainchilds where he just said, why are we... Also Sonoka Bean Valley. Yep. So this all comes from the same property. All those blocks actually touch. 17, 22, 18. Mm-hmm. 93, 96, 97. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, so um, this was just kind of the... I mean... The first time I tried this, Jeff did it in, in big punch-ins, and he was like, hey, you got to try my pet project. And I kind of tried it, and I was like, what's a PTG? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I'm just a farm kid redneck from Alberta, and I didn't know that, but mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever really tried something labeled PTG. It was just one of those things I probably should have known. And uh, when I tried this, I went, well, it's just Pinot Noir. He's like, mm-hmm. no, but it's Pinot and Gamay and Pinot Gris. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Okay, wait, let me try it again. And now when you try it, you're like, oh, okay. Mm. So you're getting those different notes from the mm-hmm. different wines. And I don't know, it's been one of those, like, people that say they don't drink, or they only drink Pinot Noir and they won't drink something bigger, or the other way around, I only drink big wines. And this is kind of that nice middle ground that, mm-hmm. that lets people from both, both camps enjoy. So this is our summit. This is kind of our flagship. This is our, our biggest kind of... I'd say there's one more wine that's our more prestigious wine, but this is kind of the the rock star of the portfolio. So uh, predominantly Merlot with Cab Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of Malbec, and Syrah. So it's kind of, I'd say, like Washington Meritage. We, we play around and throw a little bit of Syrah in there instead of Petit Verdot. So um, this is our our golden child where we make a lot of it this is some of the most premium barrels this is the the one that we hang our hat on i mean we hang our hats off all these wines but there's just something about this one that punches at a different weight class again can't quite call it meritage because of that syrah but yeah um i don't know it's, it's the it's all the bordeaux varietals plus a little bit of syrah pretty and, much and, yeah and and now that we just planted petite verdot that'll start to get you know, in a couple of years, that'll look into making a true meritage. Yeah. Can you describe where the different grapes come from? So with this one, uh, Cabernet Franc comes from Okanagan Falls. Right. Cabernet Sauvignon comes from Smilkameen. Merlot, depending on the vintage, comes from Smilkameen, Okanagan Falls, or Golden Mile Bench. So it really depends on which fruit is showing the best in which barrels. That's kind of how we decide how the blend goes. Um, the Syrah on this would have also come from the Similkameen Valley. And the Malbec is also Similkameen Valley. Interesting. Yeah. I like the way you can have every vintage is going to be slightly different mm-hmm. depending on what you've got to work with. And that's that's As where opposed to having the same thing every time you open yeah. the bottle. I'm I'm not a winemaker, so I I can taste wine and appreciate barrel to barrel, but that's where Jeff's palate and Ryan's palate really come into it, where they can go, okay, this differentiates it. Actually, on like my first interview in the wine cellar here, like I hadn't even switched jobs yet. I came in to just have an interview, and Jeff said, let's go downstairs. And he grabbed a wine thief and two wine glasses and we tasted through all the 2018 Pinot Noir. And he said, here's some chalk, check mark the ones you like, mm. X the ones you don't. And then he went through after and checked them and once we decided, okay, we agree, that's what became our 2018 Pinot Noir. Sounds like your relationship with these, with these both these winemakers is, is just a great, like a harmonious relationship. Well, it has to be, like we can't, I mean, there's certain things, like I said, the Riesling, Jeff wanted it at this bricks, this pH, and I just kind of held out and was like, oh yeah, it'll be there, it'll be there tomorrow, and we were already there, and I was just reaching for that next brick. And then when it gets here, he's like, oh, it's too high, and I was like, oh shoot, is it? But, you know, we wink. We make something really good. I don't think he knows that story until he listens to this, so sorry, Jeff. Um, But it it created something great, and you know, that is one of our top skews right now yeah. so 
You know, it, it was a little bit of we could fight about it or we can just figure it out. And now that we're in meetings and we're actually planning things a lot more strategically, we're we're going into harvest this year already prepared for, you know, what what we want to do and how we want to do it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been a... A lot of people have a learning curve when they start a job and this has just been like hit the wall and climb and every day is totally different like i said you start your day with a plan and the next hour that plan is totally different and that's just working with nature and working with vines that don't have a schedule so we're uh we're working through it we're making a lot of changes and Hopefully everyone sees them for changes for the better. I know we do, and it's becoming something a lot better, having a more transparent, clean wine. I, I hate that term, clean wine. It, it implies that other people don't make clean wine, yeah. which is such a weird, off-putting buzzword these days. Yeah. But you know, just knowing what goes into our soil that translates into our fruit, that translates into our bottle, and being 100% comfortable with, I would ingest that, so our our guests should also feel comfortable and that's a big thing for me because there's a long list of wines in the world that i won't drink and it's not because i'm a wine snob it's because i know what goes into them and i appreciate wine and myself more than i appreciate what that might do to me oh you got to enjoy what you do if you're going to do this for 90 plus hours a week you kind of have to like your job well and that's and that's also those wines that like like Daryl was saying, vintage by vintage, nothing changes and they all taste the same. Something's wrong. Yeah. You know, there there's no variations. Mm. Yeah. That there's an issue there. That's a recipe. You know? yeah. That's a recipe. That's yeah. you're you're following a trend or a flavor that you won't diverge from. And that's why we want to do these wines that change year over year. Yeah. Because if it tastes the same every year, then question us about what's going on. Yeah. It shouldn't be the same every year. If the blend is changing, the taste should change. Mm-hmm. You want it to be in the same realm, but if it's back to back, then what are you doing to that to yeah. make sure it's that way? Yeah. And that's where it comes down to, you know, having smaller production, especially for the rust labels. You know, we get to do that completely different wine year over year, yeah. but it's the same blocks, same fruit, same winemaker, and nothing's the same. I think I've we'll, just kind of been I think talking. we'll leave it there. No, I think I think that's great. I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> Okay. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. This is awesome. We, yeah. Like I said before, I listened to you in my truck. So actually being in the same room, hearing your voice is kind of like, <laughs> that's funny. There he is. <laughs> so that's this funny. is great. Yeah. When, I, yeah. when I'm driving, when I'm driving vineyard to vineyard, I'm always listening to Ian and I'm like, I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests. Friendsofthevine.podbean.com Take care. Have a glass for me. Is it a video podcast or it's, it's audio, but I might okay. I might try and put a little video uh, video. So you'll do like a little soundbite video type yeah. of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's a bummer I wasn't naked. I sh- we should have thought of that before. Should have thought of that. <laughs>